Well, my fundamental belief in life is that uh, you should just think carefully about everything you do. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're running a company or you're living your own life. There are a lot of sacrifices uh, that we need to make uh, as human beings in our life. And I just fundamentally believe that uh, if we put uh, these sacrifices in, then uh, it's going to pay off one day. Welcome back to not just another episode of Who's Saving the Planet, but another season. This is our first episode of season two. Lex Keefauber here, and I will be your host today. And I am thrilled to bring to you a conversation that I had with Helgi Oscarson, the CEO of 66 Degrees North. Now, usually the companies that we interview on this podcast are relatively young. They have created some sort of innovation or have seen something in the market that they believe requires a new entrant. And in this case, we're interviewing the CEO of a company who's caring for the heritage of something that was founded almost 100 years ago. 66 Degrees North began in 1926 as a apparel provider for fishermen in Iceland. And the reason why we found I found this conversation so interesting is that their challenge was to bring the principles of creating clothing that is built to last, that is designed to, to not only just be functional, but to protect these people, these fishermen, from some of the harshest conditions in the world where it's a matter of life or death, and to be in harmony with nature. These were their founding principles. And to bring those forward to the 21st century where they would be able to espouse this this idea of sustainability and of harmony using all of the tools available to us now. So this is a story of how you don't need to be young to innovate. You just always need to be willing to sacrifice and to push yourself a little bit harder in order to be able to stay true to those principles. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you, with Helgi, and to thank you for joining us for season two. We have so many great stories of people and activists and innovators and entrepreneurs who are saving the planet coming your way in 2021. All right, here we go. Helgi, welcome to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. We are thrilled to have you. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. So I uh, am here in Brooklyn, and we had our first snow in the last couple of days. And my my inner, my equilibrium coming from Southern California, where I grew up, is immediately alarmed and terrified. And so if that is what a light dusting does for me, I would love to understand a little bit about what it's like to be in the winter in Iceland? Well, that is, that is a difficult question to answer <laughs> because uh, the weather is so unpredictable in Iceland. I wish I could say to you that uh, if you come here in December, you get white Christmas. Right. But uh, th that's never a guarantee because uh, we, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we had... Uh, you know, below freezing point in Iceland, but now it's it's well above. So uh, I actually took my bike out yesterday and uh, 
went for a bike ride, which uh, was uh, pretty challenging a couple of weeks ago because we had so much snow and ice. Right. So, but now it's all uh, gone and uh, we don't have any. It's so funny how. It's not in Reykjavik. I mean, we. I, I'm not talking about the whole country. In Reykjavik, we do not have uh, snow or ice at this point. And what we're going to be talking about with 66 North is, of course, you can't separate the history of the company and the ethos that you embody with where it is founded and the lifestyle that the Icelandic people uh, adopt and, and live. And so I'm very excited to dig into that. But I, I wonder if you could just take us back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about where the origins of 66 North lie. Absolutely. The company got founded back in 1926 by a gentleman called Hans Christiansson. And Hans was a brave man. He went to Norway to uh, learn how to uh, make uh, clothing for Icelandic fishermen. And uh, for him, it was much more than uh, starting a, a clothing company. Because uh, if you come to Iceland and you meet people here in Iceland, I'm almost certain that uh, most people you meet, if you start asking them about uh, their family and the relationship to the ocean and so on, you will find out that they have lost a relative uh, hmm. due to the weather conditions at, at, at sea. And of course, that happens less frequently today because of the, you know, we have better ships and so on. But back in those days, back in 1926, boats were open. There was no weather forecasting. So uh, if you didn't have the proper coat and you went out in the morning, the weather might be nice. But in the afternoon or, or just a couple hours later, the rain hits, uh, it's cold and... Uh, so, so we were losing people because of that, not necessarily because their boat went down, simply because they weren't dressed properly. And uh, so uh, he started this, we can say out of necessity, because mm -hmm. it was, uh, I mean, his purpose, I guess, was saving lives. And uh, then simply because uh, we do have challenging weather conditions, not only out uh, around the island and the North Atlantic Ocean, but uh, on the island itself. So uh, people from other industries started uh, picking up uh, garments from 66 degrees north. And uh, so soon farmers uh, did that, people who were working on constructing roads and so on and so forth. And what happened quite early on, because we are a very small nation, we are a nation of only 340,000 people, is that... Uh, we started making clothes for everyday life for Icelanders because mm -hmm. simply to survive in Iceland, you need performance clothing almost every day. Right. And yeah. uh, just like with the fishermen, I mean, you go out in the morning and it might be nice weather, but in the afternoon it might be raining or snowing or freezing. And, and so you, you, you need to have a good jacket or a good parka on just to make sure that uh, if you're taking the bus home or you're on your bike, or even if you just have to walk to your car, it might be uh, quite challenging uh, weather you're facing. Right. You live in an extreme weather environment for, what, three, six months out of the year where it is below zero and uh, very, very little light during the day, right? Like, uh, forgive my ignorance about this. I've never had the opportunity to go that far north, but for a summer in Copenhagen, which was delightful. 
So I would imagine that not only is the weather a challenge, but like you said, life-threatening, especially because a lot of the economy was uh, through fishing, right? Through working on the water. Yes. So it's fishing and farming, uh, you know, a century back. Right. And uh, so, so, so that was, uh, those were the main industries in Iceland. And uh, fishery is still a very, you know, strong industry for us Icelanders and uh, because uh, we have been uh, we have such close contact with nature as a nation um, we have been forced also because we've lived all those resources uh, to to work in harmony with nature so mm -hmm. so uh, when we go out fishing we 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 fish responsibly in in Iceland and uh, so, so I mean, overfishing would simply damage uh, the, the resource. So, so we've been doing that very in a very responsible way as a nation. Mm -hmm. Quite proud of that. So, when you grow up in Iceland, you you kind of automatically become aware of how important nature is, both as a threatening factor but also as something that gives you uh, the possibility to survive. And uh, not only in terms of food, but also in terms of warmth, because mm -hmm. we do have geothermal water in Iceland and we do have the waterfalls and, and some of those waterfalls uh, have given us electricity. So we are self-sufficient when it comes to electricity. We have most houses in Iceland heated up by geothermal water. And uh, the houses that are not heated up with geothermal water, they are heated up with uh, green electricity. So um, when, you, when you are born and raised in an environment like this, uh, it, it's tough not to notice the importance of nature and how you can affect nature and how nature can affect you. And so this sounds like it was also uh, intrinsic to the ethos of 66 north this harmony between the people and the nature and then the company itself was a means to be able to bring those two groups together to allow people to exist well in their natural environment without not only being uncomfortable but freezing exactly so then take me take me through the first like 50 or so years so if it started in 1926 what was that 20th century period like before you got involved Quite early on, the company started making uh, clothing for everyday use for Icelanders. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we originally come from work where quality was uh, of the utmost importance. So uh, when, when you're making clothes that uh, might be the line between life and death, you can't compromise on quality. Mm -hmm. And also it was uh, from the beginning also extremely important for us uh, that uh, there would be a strong durability, uh, you know, um, on, on the product. So, so quality and durability is, is something that uh, we have cherished from the beginning and is kind of ingrained in our DNA. And uh, so when we go out to make a, a garment, this is what we focus on. So we try to take a kind of holistic view on this. So we say, okay, we need to find fabrics that lasts. We need to design in such a way that it's not going out of fashion tomorrow. So uh, we would like our people or our customers to be using the garment for a very, very long time. Mm 
So you can uh, say in a way that we are on the opposite end of, uh, you know, where fast fashion is. Right. We, we are uh, more encouraging people to slow down, uh, may, buy a jacket that can last you for life. Yeah. And um, that, that can be often challenging because uh, sometimes you can find a more environmentally friendly fabric to put in, something that might be biodegradable. And we are on a constant look for uh, fabrics that uh, are less harming to the environment. But we always have to kind of, you know, balance it out with how long does it last? Because uh, we don't do the environment a favor if uh, we make something out of uh, uh, a, a more environmental friendly fabric, but it only lasts you a year when we can make something uh, that lasts you up to 20, 30 years. Yeah. So, so this is a balancing act that uh, we, we take very seriously. They say the most sustainable clothes are the ones that are already in your closet. And so the more that you can continue wearing those, the less impact that you'll have. Um, and, and usually... And, uh, maybe, maybe just one more element that we also think is very important there is that uh, because of uh, how small of a nation we are and, and how small the market is, we couldn't afford back in the days uh, uh, to, to uh, when we were only selling in Iceland to make a, a jacket that was only for one purpose. Mm-hmm. So, so we could never live of producing 10 different ski jackets. So, so we as a company were forced uh, to produce something that had a multi-purpose use. Right. So uh, when, when we are designing something, we think about, okay, this would be a great jacket for hiking, but po- could we possibly use it for something else? Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, we try to be as minimalistic as possible in our design but uh, we also look very, very much to uh, how can it be used for different purposes. So when you talk about a jacket that's in your closet, we would like fewer jackets in your closet. Right. Instead of having, you know, one just for skiing that you wear maybe a couple of times a year and then you park it. So it's, it's interesting because that's antithetical to what most fashion business models are which would be we want you to have many things and then we want you to throw them away and buy new things um and i suppose it's not surprising that the companies that we see historically having led the charge for more sustainable responsibly produced clothing are also the companies that have this mix of both function and nature in their core here in the states where patagonia is one is a name that we um that is associated largely with like conservationism and like a very rigorous mentality when it comes to producing clothes well and i know that you also embody that on your side of the pond um and i suppose that's not surprising right when you have to make clothes to save people's lives and to celebrate nature of course you're going to think more about more than just the bottom line exactly so then if this was inbred in the, in the ethos, in the, in the DNA, in the fabric, if you will, of 66 North for the last hundred years. And I want to understand the point where your story begins with the company. So now you are the owner and the CEO of 66 North, but you were not always, of course, you know, you weren't born at the late 1800s. And so tell me a little bit about how you came to be involved with this brand 
since I was 28 years old, I, I've been running my own companies uh, most of my professional life, with the exception of a couple of years. And uh, when, 10 years ago, I was looking for an opportunity to invest in. And uh, I sat down with my wife and uh, we actually had this uh, dream of working on a project together. And she had been teaching and uh, working in marketing and branding for a couple of decades. And she told me when I've been lecturing at the university around uh, branding, I usually try to talk about some global brands, brands that have done an amazing job uh, in, in, the, in the global market, brands that are, uh, you know, interesting, have an interesting character and, and so on, like good brands do. And she said, I've always missed it, not being able to talk about a global Icelandic consumer brand. And she said, there is one brand that I believe has the potential to be a global consumer brand from Iceland. And uh, that is 66 degrees north. And I, of course, knew the company, but I, I, I didn't know that. I just knew it as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I knew the garments and so on, but I didn't know that much about the company itself. And uh, the company was privately owned and it has always been privately owned. And so uh, I heard that uh, the owner at that time was interested in uh, selling the company. So I approached him and told him that uh, if he was interested, I would be willing to uh, start negotiations. And um, he said, well, I, get, I need to get to know you a little bit better because uh, I'm not selling just to anybody. So I worked for the company for a couple of months as a consultant. And by doing that, I also got to know the company a little bit better from the inside. But we couldn't agree on price. Strangely enough, of course. So uh, I thought the opportunity had passed, and so I went looking into something else. But then six months later, he called me up and said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, the CEO of the company just resigned, and I need a new CEO." And so my immediate question was, "Still considering selling?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "Yes, I might do that, but uh, there are more people interested than, ju than just you, and I'm not going to give anybody an exclusivity on it. So if you're interested, you need to act fast." So I, I signed on as a CEO in February of 2011. So it's almost 10 years, and uh, within six months, with the help of a private equity fund uh, here in Iceland and some family money. Me and my wife secured a majority stake in the company, and this was 2011. And uh, two years later, we had bought out the uh, uh, the private equity fund, and since then, uh, we've had full control of the company. And in uh, 2017, we felt we were ready to take in a professional strategic investor to help us uh, to grow the brand in the international market because our focus had mostly been on working on, uh, we can say maybe the foundation of the company and uh, make sure that uh, the collection we were offering was totally in line with what we wanted to offer in the, in the, in the bigger world. 
And uh, so in 2017, we started preparing to take in a strategic investor. And by middle of 2018, we finished that process. So we got in a strategic investor who bought a significant majority stake in the company. And uh, now we've been uh, working uh, with that setup since middle of 2018. So back, let's let's go back to that first part though. When before we before today, when you have this strategic investor and you're moving overseas, what was it like when you were having to make that decision about whether you were going to commit to 66 degrees north? And was it something that you felt was risky, or did you think this was a sure thing? Like how how did you? How did you feel about what this was going to take from you in order to make this successful? Ever since I really got to know the company and uh, it, it, you know, I had a certain advantage, of course, because uh, when I started here as a CEO and even though, uh, you know, we had the plans to buy the company, I can do my, I could do my own due diligence on the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I immediately noticed that uh, this company has its amazing history and heritage. And there is so much authenticity around the brand that, uh, you know, I got more confident every day working inside the company and, and every st stone I turned, I mean, I saw people with 30, 40 years of experience in craftsmanship and, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, we've been a, a manufacturer of uh, our own uh, since 1926. I walked around here uh, and just on the other opposite side of this wall that I'm sitting now is uh, our repair shop that uh, has been... Uh, you know, operating since 1926. I mean, we repair clothing for, for our, our, our customers. So, so when, I, when I noticed all these things that uh, I wasn't so much aware of before I, you know, joined as a CEO, I got more and more confident. And, uh, and of course, uh, I, I channeled all of that confidence to my wife who hadn't started working in the company at that point. And we got both very excited about it. So, so eventually... We sold our house and we put every penny into wow. this company, every single penny. And we were on the rental market for eight years and we were always thinking now maybe it's, uh, we, can, we can buy a house next year. So we only always did these short-term uh, lease contracts. Right. So we ended up moving eight times in eight years, which wasn't <laughs> very smart and, and very good for the family. But uh, eventually that's what we did. But... Uh, you know, I don't regret a single minute or single penny that I put into the company because it's been a journey of a lifetime. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. I feel like most of the stories we have the opportunity to talk with entrepreneurs, there's that journey that starts at a place where you're like, well, I... I don't know what exactly what I was getting myself into. And if you would have told me back then what it was going to take to get here now, I would have been like, that's a terrible idea. But of course, it's entirely worthwhile when, when you have the opportunity to reflect on it. And, 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 and I'm not saying it hasn't come with challenges or that it hasn't been battles that I didn't even know I, I, I could fight and, 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 and come through. But um, the... the when you start seeing things materialize, um, you, you have a certain vision when you, when you go into a, a project like this, if I can call this a project, and uh, you, you're going somewhere and uh, you, you, you soon forget it. It's just like uh, you know, running a, a marathon or, or, or participating in a competition that takes a long time. As soon as you can see that uh, you know, 
what you've been working for, what you've been aiming for such a long time is, is starting to come true. And, 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 and what is maybe most rewarding for me is to, to see the people that we are working with, you know, flourish and, 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 and do things that they didn't even think were possible for themselves or for the company. And, and, and all those things start to come true then uh, you forget all the challenges and, and uh, it, it becomes uh, so rewarding. So what, what advice would you give uh, that younger version of yourself 12 years ago when you were getting into the beginning of this journey? When you're young, you think you can do everything uh, on your own. At least that's what I thought. And uh, so, uh, but, but what you realize... Uh, when you mature and, and develop as a, as a person is that uh, you, you can't do anything of significant challenge unless you have great people around you. And uh, I always, uh, I, re I remember reading the uh, biography of, of, of Andrew Carnegie and uh, he said, I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. And uh, for me, that hasn't been a very difficult thing. It's uh, <laughs> when I, what I say is I usually find people who are smarter than me. So in this company, I have people who are much smarter than me uh, when it comes to running a, a, a company in the textile industry. That's all was also my aim when we looked for investors to find somebody who knew more about the business, who knew something that we didn't know or had experience of doing something that we hadn't done before. And the same thing was true when I uh, hired uh, our, our global president, Matthew Woolsey. I mean, Matthew brought in something that I did not have. And that has been my guiding light. So if I would meet myself as a younger person, whether it's 10 years ago or, or 25 years ago, I'm 53 years old now, then I would definitely say to that person, make sure that uh, you surround yourself with people who are smarter and more experienced than you are. It reminds me of a, a quote that um, from Steve Jobs that I often tell uh, the people that I have the pleasure of working with when they ask me questions that I have no idea the answers to, um, which is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, we don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And so it's sort of like you respect the people and the brilliance of the people around you and then lean on them to be able to support each other towards your end goals. I completely, completely agree with that. And listen, if I were to meet you 25 years ago, I'd probably buy you a drink as well, because I'm sure you'd be smarter than me and I'd want to learn from you <laughs> even back then. Um, so let's I, I would love to then if we've, we've gone through the journey about where 66 Degrees North came from and how you became involved with it. Let's dig in for a minute now about what you are doing, what the company is doing to really push forward the barriers of how a fashion brand can be a sustainable force for good in the world. And there's a couple of things I'd love to touch on and learn more about. And the first you alluded to, which I find is so cool, your repair shop. In the ethos of your company is that we don't want, we want to fix the stuff that you buy so you don't have to buy it again. Can you just expand on that tell me like what how does that make sense from a business case how does it actually work i'm here in brooklyn if i buy a coat do i ship it to iceland like give, walk me through that yeah well as i said before we 
have always had the repair shop. So that, that's been a part of the, you know, who we are as a company ever, ever since we started. And uh, what, what we would like people to do is buy something that is durable. And if it breaks, we'll fix it for you. And we like to design it in such a way that it, uh, you know, it's not only a, a product for today, but uh, you can wear it five years from now, 10 years from now. And uh, just to name an example, I mean, we do have a parka in our offering that was uh, released first uh, back in 2006, and it's still one of our best-selling parkas. And our best-selling shell jacket, we won the ISPO award for it back in 2011, uh, a year after it was uh, released for the first time. So, so we tend to keep uh, items in the collection. It doesn't mean that we don't do slight improvements on them uh, because we get constant feedback from our customers, especially through the repair shop. So if something breaks and we, we can see that it is because uh, we messed up on something, we of course immediately uh, fix that in the, in, the, in the next offering. But uh, one thing that... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of funny to tell is because it's, it's, it's the fact that uh, we never talked about this. I mean, of course, we told customers. I mean, if you come into our stores and, we, and you buy a jacket from us, we tell you that you can bring it in. But we never told it to non-customers. We never mm. used it as a promotional element. And I remember uh, going to a, a fashion forum in Copenhagen where... Uh, you know, companies in the textile industries are gathering and, and, and in the fashion and luxury and so on to talk about how we can uh, be more friendly uh, uh, to the environment, uh, doing the business we are doing. And, uh, and uh, I remember there was this gentleman from Patagonia uh, who had the presentation and he started talking about uh, with pride that uh, they offered repair service and they had this uh, mobile repair service that they traveled around the US and there I sat listening to him and uh, I looked at my colleague sitting next to me and I said here we are listening to this gentleman from Patagonia who are you know on the forefront uh, when it comes to sustainability and we have never uttered the world <laughs> word to, to the world about our repair shop. So maybe it's about time we start doing that. So, so uh, we can say that uh, what we have been lousy at doing in the past is tell the world uh, what we have been doing and what we stand for as a brand. But at the same time, I want to emphasize that uh, even though we, we think that it comes uh, as a part of our DNA, uh, that uh, uh, we make products that last and, 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 and uh, we are aware of the, the damage we do to the environment, I, I don't want to sit here either and, and predict that we do everything right. And there is not a thing we can't uh, improve upon. And we are constantly looking for ways to, to um, be more responsible as a corporate citizen in the world. And for example, in 2019, we became uh, carbon neutral. And uh, we have set uh, a goal for ourselves as a company that uh, we should not pollute more uh, 
then we as human beings inside this company can offset by our own hands. Mm. So, so to become carbon neutral, you basically have to buy a certification. So uh, what we did in Iceland, uh, or have done in Iceland for, for 2019, we buy a certificate from a company who makes sure that 2,700 trees are being planted so we can uh, state that we are carbon neutral. Right. But what we want to do on top of that is that we want to plant with our own hands the, the staff of this company another 2,700 trees. But of course, we can't use that as a certification. That's just the thing that we have for ourselves. So, but in fact, we can say that the company has become uh, carbon uh, negative. And one of the ideas that we have entertained inside the, the walls of this company is that now we are approaching 100 years history of this company. Why don't we offset everything that we have polluted in this first century. Wow. And probably we are not able to do that in a very short period of time, but I think it's an exciting uh, goal to, 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 to aim for. So if you're going to set that North Star for yourself as a company, it's a wonderful example to, what, to how other companies can ask more of themselves than doing the status quo. We have an opportunity to speak to a lot of people about the carbon offsetting system. And while it is ambitious, and I think probably for the best, there's a lot of trouble with it. There's a lot of ways in which the system can be gamed by people, and it's actually as inefficient. So asking yourself, what can I do as a company that you can feel the tangible results from? And also the connection to nature, right? If you're going out and physically planting a tree, I imagine that's so much more impactful than buying a certificate from someone who's doing something much farther away it speaks much more to the articulation of your values in real life as opposed to just the financial maneuverings that allow you to feel some moralistic comfort i couldn't agree more because uh, uh my mother and father they had a summer house outside of reykjavik and uh, i got raised around trees and uh, they started planting trees back in 1966 I got born in 1967, so I have had uh, uh, this in my hands uh, for uh, 53 years, and there is nothing that I love more than to plant a tree or to just walk in the woods. And uh, because uh, I don't know if you uh, are aware of it, but trees share uh, trees uh, share around 25% of our DNA, hmm. and uh, these are much more complicated. Uh, um, living beings than uh, people realize. We we Many of us look at them and, and uh, think it's uh, like a piece of concrete, but uh, they actually communicate with each other and so on. So I get all excited about uh, trees, but uh, it's not only trees because uh, we are also working with uh, the, what is called the wetland fund here in Iceland, because uh, we have dried up uh, through the years to be able to farm uh, better. Um, wetlands, which have had damaging effect on the country. And uh, those uh, wetlands are now being recovered and that costs money. And for example, instead of uh, having discount on Black Friday, um, we uh, actually uh, said to our customers, if you buy uh, during Black Friday weekend from us, uh, we will uh, commit 25% of our revenue to the wetland fund in uh, Iceland. 
Hmm. And uh, so, so, and the drying up of wetlands, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, it, it, it is uh, uh, one of the, uh, you know, most damaging thing when it comes to uh, CO2. So, so uh, um, there uh, is, is something that uh, we think is, is very important. And uh, when, when uh, I look at us as a, as a co corporate citizen, um, I see so many opportunities where you can make a difference. And, uh, and for anybody who is responsible for a company listening to this message, I mean, just th think about it for a second, how much positive change you can have on uh, society and uh, the, the environmental in, in general. There is a lot of things we can do. So, first of all, that's wonderful. And I think that's a message that more CEOs and more leaders of industry should be willing to extol. Um, and I wonder, have you seen have you seen this articulation of your values? Like you said, you were sitting in that room with the Patagonia person and you're like, we also repair things. Why shouldn't we tell people? And marketing to your customers saying, instead of taking a discount on Black Friday, let us participate in in the restoration of our ecological neighborhood. Is that something that you're also seeing affect the business aspect of your top line revenue or your bottom line profit margin? Like, is there, is there a financial case as in addition to an altruistic and sort of like just a survival case for doing these things? Well, my fundamental belief in life is that uh, you should just think carefully about everything you do. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're running a company or you're living your own life. There are a lot of sacrifices uh, that we need to make uh, as human beings in our life. And I just fundamentally believe that uh, if we put uh, these sacrifices in, then uh, it's gonna pay off one day. And uh, so, so, of course, you, you can do the Excel exercise and you can say, you know, if I put so many of this in there and then my top line would rise so much. I, it, that's beyond it, in, in, in my view. You just need to be authentic in what you're doing. You need to care about what you're doing. You need to be responsible in what you're doing. That, that will pay off in the end. It's the same thing if you eat healthy food Sometimes you have to say no to a, you know, great meal or a, or a fast food or whatever it is. But in the end, you're going to be more satisfied. You're going to be more healthy. You're going to be have a healthier heart and, and you're going to feel better and so on. But in the shorter term, uh, you might be saying no to some of the things that other people are saying yes to. And, and the same thing often applies when you're uh, running a company. There might be some short term gain in it. There might be, you know, you can squeeze out a little bit more profit. You can cut corners. You can use less expensive uh, fabrics or, or, you know, it might just last a little bit shorter time. Probably nobody's going to notice it and so on and so forth. And you can start kidding yourself. And uh, so it's just my fundamental belief that you need to be true to yourself, whether it's what you put into your mouth or whatever you put out into the world as a, as a, as a company. And if you, if you are true to yourself and, and your fundamental beliefs, that's going to pay off in the end. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. 
Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, let me just briefly say also, I am so refreshed whenever a CEO says, I don't like take that Excel and take a walk. Like, I don't need to know what Excel tells me that just personally, I want to congratulate you for that. Um, but Helgi, thank you so much for joining us today and teaching us a little bit about where 66 Degrees North came from and what you're doing to make sustainability part of your core values. My pleasure, Lex. Thank you for having me. That was Helgi Oscarson, the CEO of 66 Degrees North. And as a fantastic New Year's gift to us, if you could take just 30 seconds and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to, that would make a huge difference for us. Those ratings and reviews allow us to reach more people with these stories every week. So from the bottom of our Who's Saving the Planet hearts, thank you. And stay tuned. We've got more fantastic stories of people saving the planet coming your way next week and every week here in 2021. Cheers. Cheers.